Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, the mouse of the Lord." has spoken. So, this is a really exciting day to speak, because I want to speak, uh, and along with some of the others, more about the vision and calling that God has for us. I wasn't really going to share this, but it's just uh, gone through my mind again. Um, this is a really important day. This is a really exciting day. This is about God and his calling to us. And uh, last night, um, I woke in the morning about 2.30 with this overwhelming sense of fear and darkness and oppression. And uh, normally, I just don't like being at home on my own at night and Mike's away, but actually it didn't feel like that. Normally, I turn the light on and I go down the stairs, I'm fine. I just lay in my bed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed until the point where I went back to sleep again. And I think that is about, this is a really important day. 
This is a really important day because this is about the calling of God for us and our church. And I want to start by saying, where are we now? Because it's really important to know where you are so you know how to go somewhere else, isn't it? We have done our final designs and had them approved. Uh, we, are, we have got building consent already. We are an increasing amount of community engagement and listening and talking to our community about the way forward. We have got our charitable incorporated organization in progress and at the solicitors, hopefully not in a pile, but actually doing something, but more of that some other day. Dealing with the way that we engage in a contract with liability, with our security as a church and a safe and solid footing for the future. We need to think a little bit more about finance, but we have a clear financial picture in place as much as before we go to tender about where we are. And perhaps most importantly of all, we are hearing increasing amounts of stories, of stories of people whose lives are being totally changed and transformed by the things that we are engaged in as a church. People coming to know Jesus, people being set free from debt, people finding hope and a sense of value. And those stories are part of this big vision that we have, and God is gracing us with the start of those things already, and we feel really excited about that. It is now time to start the work. Yeah, a few more cheers, you know, it's good. It is time for us to start the work. We still need a few more pennies. Just a few. <laughs> but today we're not going to talk a whole lot about that. It is time where we need to go forward and start the work beyond where we've got to up until this day. But today we want to get back to the vision, to what God is saying to us, what God has been saying to us all along. This is a bit more about enabling us to see what the house will be like day to day, building on that inspiring input from Ruth last Sunday. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, the morning one is already up and the evening one we just need to edit slightly. But we recorded both of those two things. You know, last Sunday was the only date that she could make and this Sunday was already in the calendar. So, God's word to us. One of the key verses has been this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. That is true. This is his work. It is primarily his work. Unless he does it, there is no point. And in everything we do, we want to honor God, obey God, delight God. It says in the message, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. We are not building a shack, we are building a house, a solid vision of engagement in our community for the gospel and glory of God. That is what we are about. But it is God's work that we are involved in. Another key passage of scripture was the one that I just read to you. And we have returned to it time and time again. And on many occasions, it's jumped up and ambushed us when we've least expected it. We've been in a completely different conference. Someone's come and said, oh, I've just had this verse for you. And it's the same one, always. It's the same one. Because God keeps on speaking in many ways, in multiple different locations, and particularly verse 12, which says this, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age of foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. But we're going to go back to the beginning of that passage because it's the whole thing that's really important. So the first five verses 
I have really straightforward titles this morning. What God isn't happy with. (laughs) What God isn't happy with. You know, fasting and prayer and worship are right and good and great and commanded by God. But God is concerned about his people here because there's false fasting. There is something broken in the way God's people are interacting with him. Their worship lacks integrity. It is self-centered. It is going through the motions. It is thoughtless. It is not impacting the way that they are living. They are worshiping and fasting and at the same time they're exploiting people and oppressing them, and quarreling, and filled with strife. They sing, but their lives are not changed. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul, having spoken about spiritual gifts at length, says you can have all of these things, but if you don't show love, you are like a clanging gong or a banging cymbal. And that's what Isaiah was saying to the people then. You're doing all this stuff, but you're like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And when Andy's setting up, that's what it sounds like, not when he's playing. Just is uncomfortably deafening. God says, I don't want to hear that. Because it doesn't have integrity. That kind of worship does not make me happy. Not worship doesn't make him happy. But inauthentic worship. There is no room for us to have ignorance about the opportunities and the needs that are part of our community. There is no room for apathy. Oh, well, maybe sometime, or somebody else will do it. True worship is about life worship. True worship is about the everyday, of which this service is an expression of the everyday. If you look into Amos Chapter 5 and verse 21, Amos was speaking at a similar time in Israel's history, really to Isaiah just a little bit earlier. It says this in verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burned offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps or other instruments. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. In truth, I used to listen to those words, and I used to listen to them often because they were on Graham Kendrick's Make Way CD. Sorry, tape. (laughs) And I used to squirm a little bit, actually, because I'm a worship leader, and I love playing and singing. And at that point, I didn't think that we did a whole lot about justice. Now I don't squirm quite so much, but those words are still so powerful about the things that make God happy. Because God is happy... Oh, it's good, isn't it, when you don't do the PowerPoint? God is happy with true religion, which is about justice. It's about justice. Justice is essential. The equal treatment of all people, valuing of each person as created in God's image, a special care and concern for the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the oppressed, the poor, and the excluded. At the beginning of Isaiah chapter one, Now we've had all those discussions about who wrote Isaiah. You go right back to chapter 1, 
and verse 15, God says to them, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And in Leviticus 19, it's when God gives them the commands about leaving stuff at the edges of their fields so that the poor can find something to eat. Matthew 25 is the same message from Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. He says, when did you feed the hungry? When did you give drink to the thirsty? When did you clothe the naked? When did you set the oppressed free? I tell you, if you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. I hated that passage as well, by the way. It also made me squirm. Tim Keller, who is a really amazing Christian leader who was speaking at the House of Commons just recently at a prayer breakfast, said this, justice should not be siloed, not in a little segment over there somewhere, but all-encompassing. Its basis is in the character of God, who is good and fair and righteous and just. Its basis is in the gospel, grace to all. Grace and love to all, compassion and mercy to all. It requires, Isaiah says, generosity if you spend yourselves, if you give yourselves. It requires commitment to do those things. It requires trust to keep the Sabbath, to keep the rhythms where God is in his right place, to depend on him. Verse 13 and 14 remind us that justice, compassion, mercy come out of our intimacy with God, with knowing him, with worship, with prayer, with fasting, with spending time in the presence of God. And the stories that we are beginning to hear, and Ruth's going to share more about, they inspire true worship, don't they? They inspire our joy. They inspire our thankfulness. They inspire our trust that God can do amazing things, transform people's lives. Isaiah reminds us to break the chains around people, whatever they might look like, to share our food, to spend ourselves, to provide shelter, to care for other people made in the image of God, to get away from accusations and malicious talks, to satisfy others' needs. And many times in this passage it says, if this, then this. It's conditional. If this, then this. And we want all the then, but God challenges us with the if. In 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 1, God challenges Jehoash to be the repairer of the breach. And then in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, he challenges Josiah to be the repairer of the breach. And literally, those things are fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem and the identity of the people of God when they go home. It's a term that God will eventually use for himself. He will come and repair the breach externally and internally, that breach between us and him, that isolation, that alienation, that breakdown of relationship. He will come and restore and heal the breach. And it's our experience that we have known him. 
that we have known him taking us in our brokenness, restoring the broken places, rebuilding the walls, showing us grace and mercy and compassion. And God uses our rubble, because none of us are perfect yet, to rebuild with if we give ourselves, if we satisfy the needs, then God promises us some amazing things. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. It's beautiful, the dawn light, isn't it? In the dark place, your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. And righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he'll say, here I am. He says, if you do these things, your light will rise in the darkness. He says, the Lord will guide us. He'll satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. We know a little bit about that this summer, don't we? He'll strengthen us. He'll give us a full life in empty places. We'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. What beautiful, powerful images of what God wants his people to be like. Light and life and hope and a place where the presence and life of God is seen. You will be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Some of you went round there when we just first of all got it. Oh my goodness, what a state. It was like the Mary Celeste, like someone had said, leave right now. If you didn't see it, calendars on the wall, coffee cups, Christmas party photographs, cereal, mugs, everything, thousands of tables and desks. Dirt, dust, mildew, mold. Horrible. People worked in there. They worked in the attic. We were up there the other day. It was boiling. Desks rammed into the eve. Terrible working conditions. Exploitative, I would actually hesitate to say. You know, there was planning permission for that place to become an internet hotel. You can interpret that how you wish. There was a whole lot of anxiety from the nursery, from the people who live on that street, about what was going to happen in this place and how safe it was going to be for their children and for them. And God has called us to get that building and to rebuild it, to rebuild the ancient ruins, to raise up the age-old foundations. It is an old building. It is solid, most of it. To repair the broken walls. And there are a fair few of those, and some have gone, to restore it in a street with dwellings. This is a street with dwellings. And this is what we're doing in the midst of that. You know, restore means to bring back into existence, to to use, to re-establish, to bring back into a state of health or vigor. It is used a hundred times in the Bible, and only two times for the restorer. It is most often used of the people of God. The people of God. And when it's used of the, as, as a restorer, the noun, it's used of a guy called Obed. Who? Obed, the father of Jesse. Who? Not the little lad that's at the back. <laughs> Jesse, the father of David. Ah, okay, now I'm with you. David, da-da-da-da-da. Jesus, the restorer of life. 
That's what this is about, isn't it? The life of Jesus flooding out through us, his people, into our community, renovating the community, renewing, making the community livable again. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, Jeremiah challenges the people in exile, make yourselves at home, seek the country's welfare, pray for them. Because if it goes well for them, it goes well for you. If it goes well for them, it goes well for you. And that is our challenge. It is our vision. It is our calling to rebuild, to restore, to renovate physically, physically the building and physically people. Mentally, concerning ourselves with people's mental health and their well-being, emotionally, being there in the face of isolation and alienation and spiritually, and spiritually, whole people restored to know the grace of Jesus Christ and his compassion. That is our vision. And that's what we want to see come about. We're going to sing. I thought you were going to sing. Or is it later? Well, I don't know. Do we have time? Let's sing. Let's sing that prayer, and then Ruth is going to come and expand some more of this vision to us. Sorry. Am I on? Yeah. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask you, as a people who are gathered here this morning, have you seen God moving in our town recently in Skipton? Fantastic. <laughs> I asked that in the first service, and I think they all agreed, but nobody shouted out. But um, It's very exciting to see what's happening here at the moment. Um, and our vision for the house is part of all the changes that we are seeing happen in Skipton at the moment. It's part of the ongoing story of this church and the church across Skipton, and all the changes and the way that we can see God bringing life to people, restored life, and that is what this vision for the house is. The house is going to be the church in the week. It's what we have here on a Sunday, but it's spread out over the week, meeting people, being church for people during the week with an open door to our community, and that's really what the vision is for the house at the moment. I just wanted to share a few stories. I really like sharing stories with you. Um, one story is about my friend Chris, hi Chris, who came up to the front very bravely last week um, and wanted to share part of his story with you. So I'm just going to carry on with that story a little bit. Um, just to say that after a couple of weeks of coming here, Chris said to me, I know why God has kept me alive. He wants me to mentor other people who've been in dark places like I've been. And just for me, that's a very powerful thing for me to hear Chris say to me. And I know for him, it's been a very powerful part of his story. And I can see him nodding at the back. So what does that look like with the house next door? Well, that is the very exciting bit. Let me tell you, right now, we have 
so many things happening in our church in the week. If you want to know more about that, then come and ask me or anybody else who's involved in things happening, ministries happening in this church during the week. But what we don't have is an open door during the week. We don't have a place where people can come and receive hospitality and prayer during the week when they're popping in. And that really is the vision for the house. So if you will imagine with me, Chris, when this house is restored... Um, coming in to sit in the living room, which is the main large area of the house next door. And what we're imagining there is not just small tables like in a coffee shop, but we're imagining a large trestle table, a bit more like a kitchen table where families sit around, have conversation, chat, have a coffee, share time and activities together. And I'm imagining Chris bringing maybe his friend who I met yesterday into that space to sit at that table in the corner and offer them a coffee and sit and chat and for Chris to say to his friend, you know, in this place, in this house, it has an open door. It's a safe space. It's okay in this house to not be okay. It's all right to be like that here. And this is a place where you're going to be known by your name. People will ask you your name. Not by your label, not by your diagnosis that maybe you've carried around with you for many years. But in this house, you'll be known by your name. You'll be welcomed by your name. And this house will have the flavor and the character of our church that we have here. But it will just be in another building and it will be an open door during the week. And change tears to laughter. I should have got you up here with me. <laughs> so I just wanted to give you that story of Chris because you, you met Chris last week. And Chris's story is unfolding, just like many stories in this building as I look around. And I'm really privileged in my job to have an insight into quite a few of them. And I have to say, when you see people's lives changing and transforming, there is actually nothing like it. It's more exciting than going on an exciting holiday. It really is. When we're on the Alpha course and we're seeing people's lives changing on a weekly basis and people coming in and saying, I don't know why it is, but I feel different. My life feels sweeter, somebody said a couple of weeks ago. Things are changing and to be part of that is a real privilege to walk with people. Um, I'd like to tell you about another friend of mine who's also started coming to church. Now this friend is somebody who um, has a home but I wouldn't describe it as a home where you felt that you could invite people back to. It's a room and it's a shelter but we're talking about next door being a home, a home where you can share in hospitality when you cannot do that in your own space for whatever reason. This friend of mine struggles with addiction and she said to me, it's hard in the week if you get bored and you're at a loose end, that's when you end up drinking. I need to distract myself and I need somewhere to go during the week when I feel that temptation coming over me to go and be with other people. Now she's really excited about next door because it will be an open door for those really low times where she needs somewhere to go to distract herself so that she doesn't give in to the temptations that she's fighting. And that's why we're going to have next door somewhere during the week that people can go where there'll be 
a cup of tea available where there'll be somebody who could pray with you if that's what you need. But it's also fine to just sit, join in with a puzzle on the big table, chat with others who are coming and going. You won't feel isolated because there'll always be a bustle about the place with daily rhythms of prayer going on, probably two or three times a day where people can join in with something that is happening where others can pray or maybe share communion together. This friend said to me that she feels that God has pulled her back to Skipton for this time, for this church and for this new house next door that's happening. Well, I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? And that's what this is about, you know, increasingly. This is not about a new vision for next door. This is about the work that is happening in this church on Sundays and during the week that so many of you are part of. This is growth coming out of that. And this is a place, a home for us to furnish and for us to fill with our community and with all the possibilities and things that are happening. And it will have a flavor of our family, just like each family has a home, and it feels like you've gone to their house. Well, I wonder what next door is going to feel like. It's going to have the things that we choose to put in there, and the door will be open to people to come in and enjoy our safe family environment that we've created there. So that is really, I think the thing that's been coming out to me really is about home. I've been thinking about different people who are not technically homeless, as in they're not on the street, although that is also who we'll be catering for. But people who their home is not a safe space, either because they live in a hostel, they live in a bedsit, or they are people who are suffering from domestic abuse, or they're just not in a safe place where they wouldn't want to open their door, they wouldn't want someone to come in, but they can come into this home and be safe and meet with friends around a table, and that's what this place is for. Um, I just thought of the African proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. Have you heard that one? I was thinking about that in terms of, you know, how many people does it take to raise a new Christian, a new person who's believing in Jesus. You know, it doesn't just take one person. It's not my work with one person that's going to make any difference. And when I bring people into this church who haven't been at church before and say, look, this is my family. Welcome. This is the flavor that we have here. We all believe in the same Jesus. It takes a whole church to raise a person and support them and disciple them into being a Christian. That's what Phil and Lisa have been talking a lot about recently. It's about discipleship, and that takes place in the week. It's somebody putting the kettle on, another person putting a cup on the table, somebody else sitting down and listening, someone offering to pray. It's all of those things. These are the church acting in the week to disciple the people in our community. So just to leave you with a picture of how the house will help me. I just wanted to leave you with this because this is about how the house helps other people, which is fantastic. But I was reflecting on it and thinking about how the house helps me, and I'm going to be very, very brief. I've got carried away. right? And that is just to think that 
I, during the week, can also tap into the rhythms of prayer that will be happening. And I'm really excited about that. That it's not just for people outside the church coming in. It's for each of us who maybe has a free afternoon and wonders where to go, that we can go and join in with the prayer and the hospitality that's happening. We can volunteer, but we can also come and receive. And I think that's just going to be a very exciting and restorative thing going forward. Thank you. Oh, isn't it brilliant? It's really exciting for me to hear um, the stories of what Ruth and all her volunteers get up to. Um, for those of you who don't know me, there are a few faces. I'm Phil Sage. I'm the manager at the Food Bank. Um, and I know lots of the wonderful volunteers who do all the work are here today. Hello. Um, so I'm just going to bring a few stories from the Food Bank um, and just my thoughts um, with a bit of creative imagining. Ruth has been doing some imagining um, about what next door means. So if you know the Food Bank at the moment, Matt very graciously gives us some space in his youth room um, and it's quite a small room and when you come in to the food bank you're basically sitting in the youth room which is also full of all sorts of stuff during the week so you're sort of surrounded by everything from stepladders to potatoes to fruit to clothing to baby stuff um, and it's quite chaotic so at the moment um, the story of a typical I'm going to tell you the story of somebody who visited the food bank maybe six weeks ago now so he came in, he had a voucher from the job centre. So he'd just been to the job centre, which is quite a stressful experience um, for those of you who've had, um, had to go there for whatever reason. Um, it, it's quite, um, it takes away a little bit of your humanity every time you go, no matter how lovely the person is you're speaking to. It's not easy. Um, so sometimes if somebody's got their bit of paper in their hand, um, accepting food from somebody is really difficult. So by the time they get to us, not only have they had a stressful experience, they've also been sent to the food bank, which is just a symbol sometimes of everything that's gone wrong in somebody's life, is that bit of paper, which is a food bank voucher. Some people want to pick up the bag and go. That's fine. This particular person, we, um, he walked in. Oh, a voucher from the job centre. Yes, that's fine. Have a seat. Um, so while the team were getting a parcel for him, um, we had a little chat about his circumstances. Um, and it, but it was the briefest of chats. We were able to signpost him onto Citizens Advice. We were able to um, signpost him to CAP. Um, but it was, it was a very brief chat, and because he'd parked his car in the car park, he had to go. So he picked up his food, he picked up his potatoes, and off he went. And we saw him again a couple of weeks later, because often we see people more than once, and it was the same process. But we managed to have a little bit more of a chat about church, and he said, oh, yeah, is this a church, all the rest of it. Uh, yes, we are a church. Not ever will all the volunteers go to church. Um, so we started to open the door to have a little bit of a conversation about him and his family circumstances, and I said I'd put him on my prayer list, and we had a bit of a chat. But again, it was quite a brief one, and I'll finish his story at the end. Um, so just to leave, so that's sort of a typical journey of a food bank, someone who comes to pick up from a food bank. A lot of our parcels go out through agencies, so we don't actually meet the people that we're going to, to, who receive the food. So that's where we are at the moment. So imagining, I am now imagining the house finished as a home. So this is the same gentleman walks in through the door. He's been told to come to the house 
on Otley Street. He's managed to find it because there's a big sign at the front that says the house. Well, the food bank at the moment has no sign. We have to say it's by the yellow clothing bin. Knock on the door. Anyway, um, so he walks in through the door and he's greeted by somebody who says, nice smile, hello, here for the food bank, very stressed, fine, take a seat. Offered a cup of tea. No, I don't particularly want a cup of tea at the moment. I'm very stressed. I've just come from the job centre. So um, maybe the food bank volunteer is called through from the food bank room. They have a little chat about what the guy needs. And while the food bank volunteers are busy putting his parcel together, because somebody is sitting in a semi-public space, and somebody is sitting there prepared to talk to him, and there's other people around, and somebody's colouring, and someone's doing a jigsaw. This conversation starts to happen, because he's waiting for his food parcel. So he's starting to chat. And by the time the food parcel actually comes through, he's, he's, he's well in conversation with somebody, which is great, and there's people around. So then we have the conversation about, well, do you want some fresh food and vegetables, which we love to offer, because it's healthy food, you know, tin stuff is all very well, but fresh stuff is really healthy. So he says, yes, please. So he goes into the front room where there's an array of beautiful, obviously, fresh fruit and vegetables waiting for him. And other stuff too, you know, um, bits of household washing powder. So he goes, oh, wow. So he fills his bag full of the fresh fruit and veg, comes out, sits down, and the person he's been talking to says, do you want that cup of tea now? And he says, yes, please. And he sits down, and he finishes the conversation, and then he's able to have more um, signposting, more appropriate chat, and then the prayer room is there and available if somebody wants to join in with that. And then somebody says, oh, it's 12 o'clock. We're all stopping for prayer. You want to join us? And then it's up to somebody as to whether they join or not. But part of those rhythms of prayer, where everyone, it's like everyone stops for tea, isn't it? You know, everyone stops for prayer at various points, and that's happening, and it's available and accessible. And it's a totally different journey to the journey that somebody has now, walking into the youth room that's filled with stuff. So that's just a little imagining of what it might be, um, with appropriate public spaces to make a connection. Um, other people that we've met, sometimes people come to the food bank, and there's one particular person I'm thinking about now, um, and their story is that, again, they came in exactly the same way with a job centre voucher, um, but they felt more prompted by God to come. So as soon as they came in through the door, not only were they in tears because of everything that was happening for them, they were in tears because they got a food bank voucher, but also when they realised that the food bank was in a church, it felt like there was a call for them to um, come and experience being back as part of a church family. So that would have been that person's journey in in the the home next door would have they would have probably involved a lot of tea and a lot of cake and then sitting in the prayer room quietly to to start that healing journey for somebody with God for them. So people sometimes do come and they do want to do that. Um, Another thing that the food bank often does is, um, at this time of year, um, is look after people who are sleeping rough in our community. Um, and the, the main needs that I have from this year's round of people who are sleeping rough are fresh water and somewhere to charge their mobile phone. And just to have a, a living room where we might be able to provide that service for people would be absolutely awesome. 
So I've talked about the rhythms of prayer. Um, just to finish then, it, for me, there's a lot about removing the barriers between people who walk into our building, removing the barriers between things like prayer and worship and peace and grace. So I know we're talking about building walls and restoring walls, but a lot of it for me is about removing barriers for people um, who, who come to make it easy for them to access the church. So the end of the story about the first guy who came um, is I gave him a hand with his bags across the car park the second time after we'd had a big chat about, yeah, I used to go to church as a kid. We get that a lot. Um, and he looked, turned around and looked at me and said, is this church open on a Sunday? <laughs> so, yeah. So, who am I handing over to? So that's some feedback stories. If you want to know any more, come and ask me as always, and I'd be really interested in everybody's views and comments. So, so I hope you're getting a bit of a picture, because we get really excited about this when we have to talk about it. But if you don't realise, the food bank and the youth room are absolutely rammed. You know... Matt is kind of full in there, and a big, huge clearing-up process has to happen every single Friday in order to get the youth in. And then he's got another eight coming in September, and that's without any of them bringing their friends. And we just, you know, are desperate to see the vision of our young people's discipleship and evangelism really maximum as well. So moving that food bank and creating a really good culture for those people also creates a really great culture for our young people in terms of evangelism and discipleship. Maybe you don't realize, but there's a couple of our young girls, about 11, 12-year-olds, and every week they meet in the library to read the Bible and pray together. In the center of the living room are four pillars, and we've put the snug in the middle there. It's kind of visible. But wouldn't it be amazing if they could come each week and be reading the Bible and praying together in that part of the room at the same time as a bunch of people are gathering around the trestle table doing Bible study or making jigsaws or whatever they're doing. This is about the whole of our church. As Ruth said so well, it's about just the expression of our church culture, how we are as a church family just a few feet across there. And we're really excited to see it in terms of the way we reach out in our community, but how it impacts us as a church as well. There's a third person to speak, but they're not here. Um, they were here, but they're not here anymore. And, um, and that was Steve Haynes. And so I, I'm just going to share with you what he would have been saying to you. And we're going to be talking more about this in September. One of the things that... Um, Steve and Sarah have really um, encountered is just hearing God speaking to them and really trusting him and being obedient to him. And so when they were involved and in, actually in a different church, they got really um, caught up in the vision of what that was about. And Steve spoke to God and he said, well, what do you want me to do about this? And God told him an amount of money that he needed to give. And Steve went, blimmin' out, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> And so he thought that if he told Sarah and Sarah prayed about it, then maybe they would get a different answer. He didn't tell Sarah how much it was, but Sarah then prayed about it as well, and she came up with the same amount. And Steve can tell the story better than I can, but the long and short of it is, they asked God, God spoke to them, and they were obedient to that. And it was a bit of a long story, because they weren't that enthusiastic about being obedient early doors, because they're normal, like the rest of us. 
But this is about us engaging in this story for our church. You know, we read stories of other churches. Um, some of you that know Kathy Madavan, this week, after 10 years, and you think we've taken a while, after 10 years of blood, blood sweat and tears, the diggers moved in this week. Five million pounds. See, ours is peanuts compared to that. It's just an exciting day when you see the vision and the story of where God has taken you. And this is about us being part of this story. So our only request to you today is, can you see it a little bit? You know, can you see it? Please ask. We haven't covered everything this morning. Ask some more questions. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Dream the dreams. Imagine the story. But then will you speak to God about it? And say to him, how do you want me to be involved in this? What can I give to this? That's all we want you to do at the moment, is to ask that question. And it might take you the whole summer, and we'll talk more about it in September. Or you might know immediately, just like that. But engage with God and say, where do I fit in to this vision that is for our church, of which I am a part? Will you do that for me? We're going to share around the communion table. And this is going to be an interesting experience. Um, In a moment, I'm going to read to you a passage in rhythm with the little sparks who are bashing things <laughs> behind me. No, it's my um, 